0: Hello, folks. This is Chopping It Up with CJ. I'm your host, Chris James, and this is Turf Talk Thursdays. So, what do we usually do on Turf Talk Thursdays? I cover the upcoming NFL schedule. I also discuss some of the fantasy options for that Thursday night game since Fantasy Football Fridays will be a little bit too late for you to get that info. And just some news and notes throughout the league that I think are important. Now, this is the initial episode of the season. So, this is episode one of Turf Talk Thursdays. It's happening in the preseason the week off between the season and the preseason the regular season. So it's a good time to just kind of, you know, rebound, recoup, and then talk about some stories more than anything. Won't be covering any games this particular episode. For those of you who are new to the podcast or to me in general, uh, the best place, place to follow me is on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at CJFlorida9. That's at CJ, the entire state of Florida spelled out in the number nine. Um, But without further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump in. I got a lot to cover in this episode. So I want to talk about a few different topics. And then, the major driver, I want to discuss the 2022 season predictions that I did a few weeks back. So the first topic I want to discuss, and it's one that's somber but has a good upside, uh, rookie running back Brian Robinson was shot in an attempted robbery uh, this past weekend. It looks like he had surgery and things went well. Uh, he's already back at the facility so far. So this is all good news in a situation that could have gone terribly wrong. Um, don't have a lot of details. What I do know is that the attempt happened. He you know, tried to deflect the gun or whatnot, and it just it ended in a better fashion than it could have. So I'm glad for that young man that he doesn't, first off, didn't lose his life, uh, he and his friend. And secondly, that he looks to have recovered very well, very quickly. So... He doesn't get to lose any time of significance, I should say. So all good things. Uh, Things are crazy out there, folks. So definitely uh, keep an eye on yourself and your surroundings. And uh, I'm glad the story had a happy ending compared to what it could have been. So moving on to the next topic I want to discuss. And it's about a quarterback that he had a pretty tumultuous offseason, including losing his job and also having surgery. And that's Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, he resigned with the San Francisco 49ers on a one-year deal. Uh, it's worth $6 million in base salary. Uh, they were able to move what would have been a $24 million cap hit down to $6 million with it being up to $16 million with incentives. That's probably going to include him starting X number of games, reaching certain goals. Uh, and that's only if Trey Lance does not uh, end up being a successful guy on the field. So This is a a great situation for Garoppolo and the 49ers. The 49ers get a backup quarterback who is, for whatever we want to say, and there's things said negatively about Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is an NFL starting quarterback. Do I think he is a a game changer? No. But he is a good enough quarterback, and it's clear, to have gotten his team to the Super Bowl. We can talk about him being a hindrance or a help. The man got there. He's won 71% of his games. So having a starting quarterback that's currently your backup is an excellent thing for a team and familiarity there. And also for Jimmy G. From all accounts and everything that I've read and seen, he seems to be a really good guy. You know, again, might not be a game changer, a quarterback on the field, but he holds the water for the team, holds things together, seems to be a really good leader. So this gives him the opportunity to, you know, work some of the rust off of that off-season surgery and also get himself in a position to be a possible starter, whether it's in season if he agrees to a trade, because that's part of his... Uh, Situation is a no trade clause. Uh, He has to sign off on any trade, or if it's for next season, he's still fairly young in the quarterback game. I think he's like 30 years old at this stage. We have guys playing until 45 or even taking Tom Brady out of the equation into their late 30s uh, is still completely reasonable with the rule changes to how quarterbacks are able to be handled. So good for Jimmy G, good for the 49ers. And another uh, situation where a guy actually switched teams in a trade cj gardner johnson i uh, was traded to the eagles by the new orleans saints now i'm not going to go into the details of the trade but what i will say is for the eagles if used properly this could be a very good move for them uh, they have two strong outside corners with darius slay and james bradbury who was signed in the offseason if gardner johnson is used primarily in a the slot they will have a lockdown unit uh Initial reports say that they're going to probably use him at safety. I think personally that's a mistake, but hey, I'm not an NFL coach. I'm not in that locker room. What I will say is just looking at his tape since he was at University of Florida, his strong suit is being able to focus on one guy, being able to operate in a slot. He can operate against bigger receivers or smaller tight ends or even slot receivers because of his lateral quickness. And I think that's where they win, but as a Saints fan, I'm not going to hide that. I think it's excellent that they decide to move him to safety, or that's their initial uh, thought process. Speaking of the Eagles, they actually made a trade of a guy that's a former first-round pick away from the team uh, as they trade Jalen Rager to the Vikings. Now, what does this mean? People said, oh, goodness, this must mean that, you know, a guy's losing his position or that, or here's what I know. I think Kelvin O'Connell is the new coach for the Vikings, right? He comes from the Sean McVay tree. One of the things that they did there, especially last year, is they tried to operate with three to four wide receivers. And they operated with a guy who worked well in the slot, who can also block well. That was Cooper Cup in Los Angeles. Guess what? That's going to be Justin Jefferson with the Vikings. They operated with a guy who was solid in the run game, but was also a guy that could operate on the exterior and open things up. Traditionally, Adam Thielen has played in the slot, but because of what Justin Jefferson has to offer, I think Thielen will play outside more often and then mix in the slot on certain downs. But that's stealing. Then they've had a number three wide receiver, a guy who is generally on the exterior. It's been Van Jefferson. It's been Odell Beckham. Guess what? Now you have a guy in K.J. Osborne that takes that role. And then they've always had a fourth receiver who's a burner, whether it's been Deshaun Jackson in the past, Tutu Atwell at points last season. That's going to end up being what Jalen Rager is. He's going to be what I claim or say is a joker. A joker to me is a guy who can play the X, the Z. He can even work in the slot, especially if you put him in motion tap passes to him, put him in the backfield, motion him out just to get matchup nightmares going on and strong in the return game. So I think that's what the Vikings want to bring him on as not a guy to fill Phelan's role or a guy to fill KJ Osborne's role. It's that number four wide receiver because they didn't really need that Minnesota prior to O'Connor coming. Now with Zimmer's regime out, they will use more three receiver sets probably than virtually anyone in that division or even the league. And they're going to need a number four wide receiver to fill that role. So stick with contracts here, we're going to talk about a deal that was signed for Russell Wilson. You know, in the offseason, he was traded away. You know, Seattle didn't want Russ to cook anymore, so they traded him to Denver. And I think it was an excellent landing spot for Wilson. Now they sign a big deal. And it's a five-year, $245 million contract, but the money that matters is the guaranteed money. He gets $165 million guaranteed. This has a lot of implications for a lot of quarterbacks. Russell Wilson is a guy in his 30s that people may think has lost a step. With all due respect, losing a step does not mean you lose your ability to play quarterback as Tom Brady. I think Russell Wilson is now in a a situation that is going to allow him to be more successful than he was allowed to be in Seattle because of the scheme that they're going to use. And this $165 million guaranteed to a guy of his age bodes well for guys on their first contract guy who I'm going to discuss in a second uh, because they should be able to get a lot more guaranteed money since this is an, a, a lot of guaranteed money given Russell Wilson he's never been a top 5 quarterback consistently though he's always been in the top 10 and he hasn't been a league changer like the likes of Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes or even a Josh Allen so it's a really good deal guys that are up for their next contract especially this guy a guy who has you know the networks have kind of pumped this one into a point where I don't want to hear about it until it's done but my only statement on it is Lamar Jackson doesn't have a deal done well guess who's comfortable with that Lamar Jackson guess who's uncomfortable with it oh wait y'all don't matter I don't matter networks you don't matter your reporters don't matter fans Sorry, y'all don't matter. It's whether or not Lamar Jackson is comfortable and whether or not the Baltimore Ravens are comfortable giving him that deal. Period. So let's just all shut the heck up. Just shut up. Just stop talking. Be quiet. Leave it alone. The networks have to push it because they need content. Games are about to start, so just let it happen. He's comfortable. And at the end of the day, when it's something that's between two entities whether it's a personal relationship or a business one, none of what we want really matters at all. If Lamar is comfortable and the Ravens are comfortable, they'll get a deal done, period. And this whole needing an agent, you've said it from jump. Definitely didn't need one when he was first drafted. Doubt he needs one right now. He has people who can look over contract There's lawyers and other people who are very familiar. You want to say that Well, they might not understand every nuance of it. And maybe that's true. But guess what? Actually, the biggest thing agents do for you is they usually can grease wheels. When you're as good as Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, no wheels need to be greased. And if you don't understand that, that's your problem. (laughs) Okay. It's not Lamar's problem and it's not the Ravens' problem. Although it is the Ravens' problem because they're going to have to pay that man. And then on some... From a football standpoint, somber news, uh, before we get into the rest of this show, Harold Landry, uh, outside linebacker rush end for the Tennessee Titans, uh, tore his ACL at practice yesterday. Um, very unfortunate. Landry was a guy that I really liked and still do coming out of Boston College. Uh, came off the edge well. Didn't really get running until about last year, you know, at the end of the, the prior season and then last year. Really started to hit the ground running. He looked like that guy who's going to be, you know, trending towards an elite edge rusher, and he tears his ACL. That takes a year away from the young man. Um, so that's going to take down a Tennessee de- defense that honestly I thought was going to be pretty good this year. I thought they were going to be a sleeper quality defense, not just in fantasy football, well, real football actually, Actually, and support that team, but in fantasy football as well. I thought they were going to be like a sneaky little play, but losing Landry is a big hit to a defense that's going to try to generate a pass rush now with Jeffrey Simmons really holding down the the water from the interior. So, I did my season predictions, and before we jump fully into that, what I wanna do is discuss how things are looked at when looking at betting odds and when we're just discussing things. So if you were to ask me, who has the best chance to get to the Super Bowl? If I had to tell you, just from a statistical standpoint, the best chance or best Super Bowl matchup likelihood, yes, the Bills versus the Bucks. Surprise. It's called chalk, right? The number one versus the number one as far as like the betting odds. And again, for those of you all who don't know, I'm a Saints fan. Now, does that have applicable bias to it? Sure. Do I try to let my bias that I have for the Saints or for anything impact the work I do? I try my best not to, but I admit that I have it. It's just not to an extreme level. Again, I try to temper it to not get in the way of doing a good job. If you ever come across a person who says they don't have a bias when doing anything, mark that person's name down and pay attention to them because they're probably lying to you or lie to you more often than you would like. So I'm freely willing to admit the best odds and opportunity to have a Super Bowl matchup is the Bills versus the Bucks. I actually am of the mindset that at least one, if not both of those teams, will not make the Super Bowl it's nothing new I think in general the preseason favorites at least one of them does not make the Super Bowl I've not done the research on when the last time it's happened that the preseason favorites have both made the Super Bowl but I'm gonna go ahead and bet that it's probably one out of the last like 15 years it doesn't happen often folks whether it's injuries or just poor construction things happen in the locker room folks these are still people no matter what you want to believe, it's not a game of Madden. These are real people with real problems that occur during the season, and it can derail things. So, yes, if I had to put significant money down to do something before the season with no odds being taken into account, I would say, yeah, Bills versus Bucks. It's a different story when you're doing betting. You want to try to get value. So, I'll be talking more about that during the season as we get into how you want to bet on stuff and what you want to approach, but... I just want to make sure that this was actually noted. Those are the teams with the best odds to make the Super Bowl, but I do not believe both of them are making it. And I actually don't believe either of them are making it. And that plays into my preseason uh, 2022 predictions. So several weeks back, actually at the end of July, uh, posted on Twitter, posted it on multiple forms of social media uh, and gave some background as to my predictions for the season. I usually do two per year. I'll do one around the end of July. Once I get a good bit of information, I'll go through every NFL game and select the winner. Literally every NFL contest and select the winner. For those of you all who do not know, that's 272 games now that we have 17 weeks in a season. We're 17 games in a season. 18 weeks. And from that, I try my best not to allow things to affect me i don't want to try to produce a certain amount of wins for a certain team i will take into account the prior week let's say a team plays a a road game on a sunday and then they have a road game on a thursday night short week if they had a tough sunday night game or a tough sunday game it may make them more susceptible to losing that thursday game conversely if the team was off and then has a thursday game and it's a home game they're more likely to win that game. That's just how things kind of go, and I'll take that into account. But in general, I didn't try to make teams get a certain record. And for those who think that I try to have a bias on purpose, again, I have them. I try to deflect against them. My team, the New Orleans Saints, preseason last year, and you can check the tape. You can go look it up. I had them finishing with a 9-8 and record and missing the playoffs before the season. They finished with a 9-8 record and missed the playoffs. For those, because I do have a lot of friends who are actually Buffalo Bills fans. I like that fan base. I actually think they're cool as hell. Um, They think I pick on their team all the time, or at least a a number of them do. do. Before the season last year, I had them finishing 11-6 and losing in the second round. You had analysts on certain networks that had them going 14-3, 15-2, and so people drank that Kool-Aid. The Bills ended up finishing eleven and six, and losing in the second round. So again, I'm not always going to get it right. In fact, (laughs) I don't have far from always get it right. But I come from a a space of trying to make educated guesses at this, and sometimes, more often than not, I am right. So I'm going to go through each division, alphabetical order. So I'm going to start with the AFC and then go east, you know, move into the north, etc., and just give you a breakdown of each division just a quick blurb about why I had those teams where I have them and then give you the rundown of the playoffs go through the playoff matchups things like that and give you a, a breakdown of why I have the predictions I have usually I do two of these a year again I did one in late July that's what I usually do one and then if things change in a dramatic fashion if the preseason shows me something there's severe injuries that happen at major positions I may alter some games and change that right before the season, that's this upcoming week. I may still do that. If not, then this is what I'll be sticking with uh, as my preseason prediction. So let's go ahead and jump into the AFC East. And I mentioned the Buffalo Bills. And the Buffalo Bills coming in at 13-4 and four on the season. I think the Bills are one of the strongest teams. They're probably the best constructed team from top to bottom in the entire NFL. They don't have a lot of holes, to be honest. Uh, their biggest holes are things that are approachable or fixable. What do I mean by that? So they lost their offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, uh, but they had an issue last year. They don't run the ball well, and it doesn't mean that they can't. They just don't utilize their running backs often because they use Josh Allen, in my opinion, to a detriment for his long-term success. I'm hoping this year they start to use Devin Singletary, use James Cook, use Zach Moss in greater fashion because I don't want what happened to Cam Newton and his body being broken by the time he was 32 years old to happen to Josh Allen. I like Josh Allen. Because Josh Allen's that dude, you're not gonna be able to stop him unless you call plays that stops him from putting his head into a linebacker's chest every time and breaking his body. But I have him going 13-4, one of the best records in the NFL this upcoming season. Second place, I have Miami Dolphins going 8-9. Again, this was the result of the games. I think Miami's gonna play tough in virtually all their games. They're one of those teams that can have swings down to, I don't think they'll do any worse than 7-10. But I, I can see them going 11 and 6 if some of the games break right for them. In this particular setup, they went 8 and 9. But I think they're a fringe playoff team this upcoming season with that offense and the defense should be improved as well. New England I have going 7 and 10. And this is actually a team that I have a lot of reservations about. And I think people are giving too much credence to and credit to Bill Belichick. He is probably the best coach in the modern era, one of the best coaches ever. But some of the time, what ends up happening is if you're really good at something, you have a deficiency someplace else. I think his hubris gets in the way of him making decisions that are normal. I think it's hubris for him to have lost Josh McDaniels and replace him with a rotating chair of dudes who aren't offensive coordinators and one dude who honestly, I don't understand why he has his job. And that's Matt Patricia. I'll say this out loud. And if it gets me in trouble from the perspective that I'm ever offered a job by the Patriots or some other organization and Matt Patricia has a a, a hand in getting me hired, cool. If you're late to meetings, if you act entitled, I don't respect you. And Matt Patricia gives that off and exudes that. So I'm willing to say that on wax, that I don't have a lot of respect for him. And he's one of the de facto offense coordinators. I'd actually rather Joe Judge get the position just because of how Matt Patricia has positioned himself for years, especially in Detroit. So, I don't have a lot of good faith in this team because Bill Belichick's allowing that to play out the way that it does. I, honestly, the only reason I have them at 7 and 10 is I actually think Matt Jones is a good second-year quarterback. Out of all the second-year quarterbacks, he is best positioned to handle this chaos because Matt Jones is that guy. I think the way that he's designed, the chaos off the field is something that he handles extremely well. On the field, I have some reservations about him because... He just doesn't have the skill sets of a Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or even a Zach Wilson. He just doesn't have that physical makeup. But the guy is a guy who can weather a storm off the field. And I think that he's going to have to do a lot of weathering. And this team is just not designed to be a great team. I can see them going 10 and 7. I can also see them going 5 and 12. So 7 and 10, I think they'll be in some games, but they ultimately won't win most of them. And the Jets at 6 and 11. The Jets just seem to currently be a a cursed franchise. Do I see the Zach Wilson talent? Sure, I see the Zach Wilson talent. Do I think Zach Wilson was deserving of the number two overall pick? I do not. I see another Jared Goff situation. More talented than Goff, but also has a lot more issues than Goff as far as off the field. just think that he has to get some maturity in his game and just in general. But they also are suffering injuries. Makai just The Jets just don't have a good feel to me this year. So 6-11 is where I have them. Moving on to the AFC North, I have the Baltimore Ravens going 13-4. and four. Now, for those of you all who, yes, you know my affinity from Lamar Jackson because, hey, I watch football and watch people be successful. This guy has been successful at Louisville. He took over a Joe Flacco offense, an offense not designed for him. And after Flacco gummed it up and bummed it up at 4-5 and five on the season, they put him in and they go 6-1 and one down the stretch go to the playoffs and everyone still had issues with him comes out only the second unanimous mvp this decade i mean this uh, century behind only tom brady i think in 2012 being a unanimous mvp youngest mvp in nfl history you know at every step people look at him negatively well let's go ahead and call a spade a spade on this one maybe you don't know what you're looking at and what you're talking about because quarterback you might be used to dan marino quarterback is about getting your team in the best position to win. And maybe Lamar Jackson doesn't look like Dan Marino on the field, but his teams win when he's on the field. I think it was week 12 or so. They were the number one seed in the AFC. Yes, number one. And he was a true MVP candidate. He got injured in the pocket, by the way. And then they fell off the rails. And it was, I don't like too many advanced metrics. I think that they sometimes harp on things that aren't football relevant. But this one is an interesting one to me from the perspective, though, everyone saw how injured that team was. But it was the most injured team in the NFL in the last two decades. And he still had that injured team at the number one seed more than halfway through the season. So if they're healthy this year, 13-4 is completely reasonable. I can't see this team doing worse than 10-7. And, and I can see them going 15-2. I think that this is his team that's set up on offense, but especially on defense, to be very successful. And that's what I see the Ravens doing this year. Moving on to the Cincinnati Bengals. I see them going 11-6 this year. That's how I play it out. I think they're a really good team. They have a very thin band for me. I don't think they're any better than 12-5. and 5. I don't think they're any worse to me than 9-8. and, and 8. But I think 11-6 is where they'll sit. They're a really well-designed team. I might have my reservation about Zach Taylor, but you know what? Zach Taylor's best thing for me is he allows his team to just play. He's allowing Joe Burrow to be that dude. And Joe Burrow... He's not yet one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He's not a top five quarterback yet. We're being premature. And you all know my affinity for Joe Burrow, but Joe Burrow is designed to eventually be that dude. Joe Cool for a reason. Pittsburgh Steelers, I have him going nine and eight. Part of this was probably my mind playing tricks on me to try to get them to that 500 record. (laughs) But, you know, until Tomlin has a losing season, he's never had a losing season. Longest streak to start a career. And he did one of those seasons with Duck Hodges starting multiple games. So 9 and 8, I see them going. They'll be a tough out. That defense should still be pretty, pretty good. The offense will improve in some respects, even with Trubisky or Kenny Pickett, because Ben just couldn't do it anymore. So they should improve there. And then Cleveland going 6 and 11. I thought that the Deshaun Watson thing would, and I don't want to get into details over this to be candid. I'm tired of even thinking about it and talk about it. I thought he was going to get more games than 6 it did get amended. That's what I thought was going to happen. We can discuss whatever you want to discuss, but that's what I thought was going to happen. I have them at 6-11. and 11. I think that's what's going to happen. This will be a pretty good team, and you won't want to play them. They're going to punch you in the face all day. But when the rubber meets the road, I don't think that they're going to beat Baltimore uh, at all this year. I think they can split with the Pittsburgh. I think that they can offer up a possible split with Cincinnati, that type of deal. But in general, they're not going to win a lot of games. They just won't lose all their games. Next division, the AFC South. I have the Colts going 11-6. I think that they're a fairly well-designed team. They have a quarterback who's an adult in the room, with Matt Ryan. He's not going to do anything special, but he's going to do exactly what they want to do. This is why I think this is one of those teams that wins those close games. But also at the same point in time, they're not a team that I could see going far in the playoffs. They're a division winner because of the division, but I can't see them doing a lot. Tennessee, I have going 8-9. This was even before the Harold Landry injury, and now it kind of further bolsters it. I just think that they're kind of in a learning mode. I think Tennessee got lucky in some games last year, and sometimes luck is, I don't know the saying, but it's its basically like a design thing, right? It is the result of what you do consistently. Maybe it's because Mike Vrabel coaches that team well enough so that when they're in pressure situations, they deal well with it. But they had some really dumb luck. <laughs> some games where they just shouldn't have, they could have easily and readily lost that uh, game against Buffalo on Monday night if Josh Allen gets one more yard. So 8-9, I think that they could be 10-7. and seven. I think that they would be no worse than 7-10. I don't see them being a terrible team, but I don't see them being a great team either. I think they're just a mediocre team because they just don't have the requisite talent overall to win a lot of games. 7-10 for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think this is one of those sneaky ones where... I still think that they're a work in progress. I don't want to say that they're even a fringe playoff team. I do not think they're one. I think they're the fringe of the teams that don't make the playoffs. I think that they can win nine games this year and go nine and eight. I don't see them winning double digit games. I just don't see it. I don't think Trevor Lawrence is ready yet. I know everyone wanted to crown him and anoint him. I like Trevor Lawrence because Trevor Lawrence, I like him a lot off the field, but I like him on the field. I like Trevor Lawrence's, I think Trevor Lawrence looks to repair more of his game Than people think he needs to trevor lawrence has holes in his game i've talked about this when facing pressure he starts to get a wider base and he gets inaccurate he looks like he's trying to fix those things and i think doug peterson will help him and assist him doug peterson's not dumb he knows things need to be fixed with trevor lawrence trevor lawrence isn't dumb he knows things need to be fixed it's the rest of the media that needs to actually pay attention to these things and trevor lawrence will eventually be an excellent quarterback but it's just not this year and then the Tennessee, the Houston Texans, I am going three and fourteen. Again, this is one that kind of in my gut feels really low for this team. I actually think that they're more of a six or seven-win team this year. But again, when I was picking game by game, I wasn't trying to make anything happen. This is one that even before I watched them in a the preseason bothered me because I think Lovey Smith will make them play tough. Good football. And I think that they'll win more games in this. So I will probably be this is one of the ones that inspired me inspires me to this upcoming week go through and amend and start repicking these games and see where I lie afterwards. Because so I really don't think there'll be a three and fourteen team. Moving on to the last team in the uh, AFC, the uh, last division. Sorry about that, folks. In the AFC, the AFC West. Start with Kansas City Chiefs at eleven and six again. I think this will be a lot of 500 ball played in division which will make their records look a certain way very middling but i think this is a division with a lot of teams that should win games kansas city being the one if you're gonna ask me to trust a battery which to me in the nfl is a battery of head coach quarterback and tenure so do i trust the head coach as an actual scheming coach like Is he a good motivator? Is he a good game planner and schemer? Do I trust a quarterback? Can he ascend? And then do they have a tenure together? Are they new together or have they been together for years? This is the team that checks all of those boxes exceptionally. We know what I think about Patrick Mahomes. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks that I've ever seen in my life. Probably the best. It's him and Aaron Rodgers. Okay? Andy Reid. Even if he had his deficiencies early in his career, the knock on him was, oh, he gets to that championship game every year. Do you know how hard that is to do? So if that's the knock on you, and then you give him Patrick Mahomes, we see what's happened, two Super Bowl appearances and four straight AFC Championship appearances with a Super Bowl. And as far as, excuse me, the tenure, again, they've been together for four straight years. So we know what's going on with that unit. So I have them at 11 and 6. That actually feels kind of right, to be honest, but the rest of these don't feel right. Uh, Denver Broncos is seven uh, 10 and 7. I think the Denver Broncos, they were my Dark Horse Super Bowl team. And then everyone started jumping on the bandwagon. So it's kind of a bad bet now. But early I said Dark Horse Super Bowl team. I told people to bet on them in Vegas. But the odds have gone down significantly. Like they're it's actually not a great bet now. They're like the seventh favorite to win the Super Bowl now, and they were like 15th or 16th before. Also with a 10 and 7 record, but coming in third place because of the way the tiebreaker shaked out, shake out. The Los Angeles Chargers. Okay. I had to say this at a, I did a fantasy draft. Okay. Uh, A live fantasy draft yesterday with some of my friends. We do it every year. And we're just having conversations about football players. They're like, you don't like Justin Herbert. I greatly undervalued Justin Herbert when he was coming out of college. And he actually was one of the impetuses for me changing some of the ways that I look at stuff. And to stop paying attention to some extent to some of the things I hear from the exterior with certain players. Uh, Because I graded him way too low. And I will accept that I messed up on that. Justin Herbert is probably the most talented quarterback not named Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. As far as every physical gift in the NFL, and he's arguably the most. Okay, Justin Herbert is a guy who I root for because he seems like a really good person. But I really, if the whole goal is for you to be a winner, okay, and maybe I'm being too harsh on him, I'm looking for the Justin Herbert, I won something thing. I'm literally looking for that. And I'm hoping this year he does that because I have no reason to root against Justin Herbert. Again, seems like a really good dude. I've rooted against Baker Mayfield in the past because he had that frat boy kind of lack of accountability, kind of douchebag quality to me that I hate it. That's not Justin Herbert. Seems like a really good dude, highly intelligent, and he can play his, play his tail off on the football field. I don't see him elevate to win. And you can say, okay, last year's, last game of the season, he balled out. I'm not saying the dude can't play. I'm just looking for the wins. Even in college, I'm looking for the wins. I'm just looking for him. And the Rose Bowl that he won, he ran for three touchdowns. It wasn't passing again i'm looking for the win so that does plan in my mind and that's why i have them at 10 and 7 even with the stacked roster that is stacked and when we talk about the playoffs trust me we'll get into that as well but it is a stacked roster they brought on khalil mack stacked roster and last and unfortunately in this division least the las vegas raiders i have them at eight and nine again this is a team that i think if they're in the afc south they would probably be the best team in that division as currently constructed but they're in a terrible division for them They have the fourth best quarterback in the division. And this is a guy who, if you listen to my tears, because I do quarterback tears, my tears episode, I think Derek Carr is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL. He constantly gets crapped on. And I think that he is anywhere from the 12th to 15th best quarterback in the NFL. He plays some games where he reaches like seventh or, or eighth. And the worst games that he plays, he's never worse than 20th. And again... That's a really good quarterback. You can win with that guy. That's better than a Jimmy Garoppolo. No shade to Jimmy, but Derek Carr is underrated. Okay, so that's the entire AFC. Let's go on to the NFC, and let's start with the NFC East. This is the easiest division for me to pick, honestly, and I don't know why this looked weird to people, but people finally started to catch on, and now they're starting to catch on late, but whatever. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles are 12-5. They, by the metrics and football power index, have the easiest schedule in NFL. I didn't even know that. I just looked at the schedule, and every time I was like, win, win, yep, win there, win there, win there, win there, win there. And before I even saw their schedule, I thought, this would be a pretty good team. I think they should probably win a division. This is the largest gap, I think, of true relevance. Because, again, Buffalo, Miami, there's a five-game gap. There's a four-game gap between the Eagles and the next place divi- uh, next team in this division from a record standpoint. And that's the Dallas Cowboys. I think the Dallas Cowboys are a really good team, but they lost quite a bit. And to be honest, until Mike McCarthy shows me something, I can't trust him. And it's not that he's not a good coach. I think that he's a good... How about this? I think he's a competent coach. Now, that sounds like an insult. That's like saying mediocre, and people hear mediocre, and all it means is average. right? I think that he's competent. I think he's an average NFL coach. I don't think that Mike McCarthy's elevating anyone if he doesn't have tools around him. He did have Aaron Rodgers forever. He does have Dak Prescott. But the major thing that plays in my mind is this penalty thing is a real thing. Okay? The penalty thing is a real thing from the perspective that that's your deal. Your deal is having your team organized. There's a reason that the Patriots don't ever leave the NFL in in penalties. And they get guys in, out, whatever. They bring in quote-unquote malcontents. Guess what they don't do? They're not malcontents. So if this is happening, Mike McCarthy, this is you. This is a you problem. So I don't trust him. I trust Dak Prescott, but there's injuries galore and also that defense played above their head last year to be candid. Micah Parsons was basically a wrecking ball that they just threw around because they had so many deficiencies and he covered up holes. Well, buddy, that that schedule this year is not gonna allow for you to just breeze by and the teams in your division, especially Philly, got better. Count on at least one, if not two L's. So eight and nine is where I had the Cowboys. I had the Washington Commanders at six and eleven. Carson Wentz is not upgraded to Taylor Heineke, but what are we really saying? That's all I have to say there. Chase Young's not back yet. What are we really saying? That's all I'm saying. And then the New York football Giants. This is such a weird one for me. Do I think Brian Dable could be a good coach? Sure, he could be. The dude showed me that he was able to actually legitimately coach a generational talent in Josh Allen. That's not shade. No one taught Josh Allen how to play quarterback prior. Maybe it was you, maybe it was Ken Dorsey, which some people say it was more Ken Dorsey, but that's neither here nor there. Maybe Ryan Dable will be a good coach, but for what he wants to do on offense, they don't have virtually any of the pieces. Those aren't the guys he wants to do it on offense. Daniel Jones is not that guy. The only dude might be Saquon Barkley, and he doesn't readily run the ball enough, at least in the current construct. Maybe at Alabama he was doing that, but even there... They kind of leaned away from being the dominant run team that they used to be and went more spread based. So that's the NFC East. Moving on to the North. Had the Green Bay Packers win in the division 11-6. Again, I'm going to trust the best quarterback in the division, even though Aaron Rodgers, the, the offense does not look like every year it looks like it's not going to be good. And I've fallen into the mistake of downgrading the Green Bay Packers on a record standpoint. I'm not doing that this year. I had them losing the games that I felt confident they'll lose. I had them winning the games that I felt confident that they were going to win. And then I had some toss-up games where some games they got picked, some games they didn't. And they came out to 11-6. I think that's a pretty reasonable record for them. Can't see them being worse than 9-8. Can't see them being better than 13-4. and, and four. So right kind of in the middle at 11-6. A 10-7 record for the Minnesota Vikings. I think that they're well-positioned. Well well-designed, and for all of Kirk Cousins' shortcomings, I think that he is an upgraded version of Jared Goff. Guess what the Rams were able to do? Go to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. They have a lot of pieces in place. Justin Jefferson's a beast. Dalvin Cook, when healthy, is one of the better running backs in the NFL. It's a good design, the defense is good enough to win games. It's just, you know, again, toss-up. They're a really good roster. They should be a playoff team, but I can also see them falling on their face with a first-year coach and a quarterback that does have his struggles at certain times. And then two 6-11 teams, just from how it shook out have Chicago, 6-11 at third place, Um, they did not help Justin Fields in the offseason. If he's able to survive this season and play competent, quality football, Yo, it will be egregious if you all in this upcoming draft in 2023 with all the offensive talent out there, all those receivers out there, don't go get him one. Keyshawn Butte and Jordan Addison and all those dudes, uh, the guy out of Ohio State whose name I can't, Jackson, uh, oh my goodness, however you say it, too many wide receivers. If you don't go get one, I'm going to fly to Chicago and want to have a physical discussion with someone in their front office because you didn't do it for them this year. But They'll be a defensive team. That's what Chicago's been for years. I think in 2023, Justin Fields will become the first 4,000-yard passer in this franchise's history. You heard me right. The oldest franchise or third-oldest franchise in the entire Second oldest, behind the Cardinals. The entire NFL has never had a 4,000-yard passer. I think it happens not this year, but next year. And then the Detroit Lions. They're on hard knocks. I have not seen an episode yet. I heard that it's good. Personally, I don't like the things that people put in hard knocks because I don't want the heartfelt stories. I want to see the football. I know about the heartfelt stories. I've lived it. I know guys who've lived it. I don't have time for it. What I have time for is the football. I think that they're doing a good job establishing what Dan Campbell wants to do. I like the staff he's put together. I like a lot of the pieces that they brought in, and I thought they had an excellent draft this year. Sneaking. Somehow, I don't know what the Vikings were doing, but they basically gave one of the best receivers... The best receiver in last year's draft. They just gave them to Detroit. I, I don't know what the Vikings were doing, but good for Detroit. I don't think they'll be that good this year. Although, I think they'll be a tough out that could win up to, and I'm making this statement, Detroit could win 10 games this year. I don't see them losing more. I see them winning at least five. They came in at 6-11 and 11 right here. I could see them at 7-10. and 10. That feels good for Detroit, but again, I'm not trying to manipulate this. I'm just trying to make it happen the way that it came out. Next division is the NFC South. New Orleans Saints win the division. They get a tiebreaker over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Both teams going 11-6. And and uh, I'm not trying to be a homer here. I'm literally just looking at the game. So I was trying to be a homer, I have the Saints going 14-3. Right? But I'm not trying to be a homer. This is a really good team that honestly would have been 11-6 last year. They were better than I thought last year. If Jameis Winston would have been healthy, this team would have probably been 11-6. They were 9-8 with Trevor Simeon, Taysom Hill, and Ian Book starting games. And I went to that Ian Book Monday night game. And for a guy that I comp to Jeff Garcia, it was awful to watch. He's not even on the roster anymore. He's in Philly now. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 11-6. Say what you will. The only reason that I have them at 11-6, if you want to be real the faith that everyone has in Tom Brady and the faith I have in. Because otherwise, for everyone saying that I didn't look at the Super Bowl right when they played Kansas City and they were correct, trenches are a big thing, right? Go look at the trenches. Go look at that offensive line. Tell me I'm wrong on this. I I have the Bucs starting off the season 0-2. I have them going, I believe, 2-4 in their first six games because of that offensive line. Then I think when things, when they get healthier and Tom Brady keeps them afloat mentally because with a lesser quarterback from a mental standpoint they go in a tank. The Bucs would be a 6-11 team. We've seen it happen with a team that's talented. Think about the Jacksonville Jaguars after they went to the AFC Championship of the next year. They had a lesser quarterback from a mental standpoint. They went in the tank. I think Tom Brady is the reason from a mental standpoint that this team stays afloat and eventually will be a good team 11-6. You all are discrediting and discounting. Do not listen to the Mike Tannenbaums and yes, I said a name of the world who think it will just be fine it's a real thing okay Carolina Panthers at 9 and 8 I think this is a a sneaky team that should be really good this upcoming season Carolina Panthers have a legitimate quarterback in Baker Mayfield say what you will if you've listened to me I'm consistent on this I've never said Baker Mayfield was bad at football never said it I said I don't want him as my quarterback I didn't like his attitude I didn't like his lack of accountability I didn't like his lack of maturity guess what if he's actually on the path to being a mature, accountable person, that'll be a dangerous team that you do not want to play. That's going to be a fringe playoff team. They have too much talent on offense, and quite as kept their defense is stacking up well. If Derrick Brown can get back to being a run-stopping force in the middle, you got Brian Burns coming out the edge, a full season of JC Horn on the outside, that corner. Look, they could be really, really good. I have Atlanta at four and thirteen uh, here. Here's the deal. I think Atlanta feels like a better team than that, a 6-11 or 7-10 and 10 team. Atlanta's probably going to be the most frustrating team for Falcons fans to watch this year because they'll be in every game and then just get pushed around late in games because they just don't have the depth and talent yet. I think they're trying to build something. I think they're getting there. But is Mariota ready to be the guy again? I, I like Mariota. He is a good dude, by the way. Really good person hell of a football player when he's mentally set. I don't know if that mental set is back yet. Since he broke his leg, he doesn't seem like the same player. Desmond Ritter, is he ready to take the reins in a team that does not have requisite talent? I think the Falcons are more of a threat trending for 2023 than they are for 2022. And I'm hoping upon hope that unless, and I'm saying this right now, unless it's I understand if you have C.J. Stroud or even Bryce Young, but especially C.J. Shroud sitting there for you and you're picking number one. I understand. But if you're a 5, 6, or 7, and Desmond Ritter's played good football, do not reach for a quarterback. Do not reach for the Will Levises of the world, not even Anthony Richardson. Desmond Ritter is a good enough quarterback that you should be taking talent around him unless the quarterback is clearly better. That's the mistake a lot of these teams make. Unless the guy is clearly better, when they went and took Kyler Murray over Josh Rosen, who, yes, I misjudged and had him ranked too high, they took the guy who was markedly better. Made sense. You don't make that move for a guy who's either a lateral move or, in some respects, a downward move. Again, Will Levis probably be a fine NFL spot starter, in my opinion, but teams will reach for him, and this should not be one of those teams. In the last division, the division that's been the best division in football for roughly the last half decade. But now they've had some departures. And it's not the same. And that's the a- NFC West. And we're going to start with, and these records are going to sound crazy. But again, this side played out. After San Francisco 49ers winning this division with a tiebreaker over the Rams, uh, going 10 and 7. Again, Trey Lance is the biggest wild card here. I don't think that this is going to be a terrible team. They really can't. I don't think that they'll have a losing record. I think that they are a 9-8 team at worst. I think they have a good chance to be a 12-5 team if Trey Lance is worth his salt. This is a virtual hedge where I didn't know if Trey Lance was going to be the starter at the time, slash Jimmy Garoppolo was going to still be on the roster, what was happening. But this, to me, is the best team in the division. I know the Rams just won the Super Bowl, but hear me out. You realize, other than the playoff game last year where Jimmy Garoppolo lost his mind and tried to throw a backwards pass... John McVay doesn't beat Kyle Shanahan. It's been three straight years that he's been swept. Yeah, he's one and six. He doesn't beat him. Basically, the San Francisco 49ers are the New Orleans Saints to the Rams Bucks. He doesn't beat them. And then the Rams. The Rams have a really tough schedule. They, play, they start off against the Bills, who I think, honestly, because of how things are set up and structured, the Mad Stafford's on, I think the Bills are going to smash them in the first game. And I think they're going to win by double digits, literally. So it's a tough road, but they're too good of a team with too good of players to be a really bad team. I'm going 10-7 and seven again, coming in uh, second place because of a tiebreaker in the division. The Arizona Cardinals, at one point, the best team in the NFL last year. I went on record where they were 8-0, and I said, look, they're the best team. But injuries started to happen. When J.J. Watt went down, that was an issue. Chandler Jones having an injury issue. Kyler Murray dealing with injuries. New Copkins going down in that Thursday night game against the Packers. They weren't the same team anymore. This year, I just don't like the additions that they've made. I don't think they've addressed enough. And New Copkins suspended for the first six games of the season. I have them going 7-10, and 10. I think They have a hard schedule. You know, they have games that maybe they can win, but I didn't give them the toss-up on a Thursday night at home against the Saints. I just can't because they're not designed for it. So 7-10, and 10, I don't think they're a bad team, but I don't think they're good enough to really get some of those close games. And then 5-12 for the Seattle Seahawks. I think that they're they're not a terrible team. I don't think that they're gonna they're gonna win at least four games. I think their ceilings eight. I can see them as a six and eleven tech team. So five and twelve is where they landed. So those are all the divisions. Um, I want to talk about the playoffs because we're running a little short on time, I'm going a little long on this one. And we're gonna go with the seeds. So in the AFC, Baltimore with their 13-4 record. Ends up with the number one seed, Buffalo thirteen and four. Ends up with the two seed. That means that Buffalo early in the season loses at Baltimore. Uh, that's an early terrible game for for them. And I think Baltimore should defend really well against them. And it's again, the winner of that game to me gets the number one seed. Kansas City with the three seed uh, with their eleven and six record. Indianapolis Colts winner division at eleven and six get a get the four seed. Cincinnati with an eleven and six record ends up with a five seed. The Denver and the Chargers get the sixth and seventh seed, respectively. On the NFC side, the number one seed with a 12 and five record, the Philadelphia Eagles get the number one seed in the bye. An 11 and six record, the Green Bay Packers end up with a two seed. The Saints get the three seed with an 11 and six record, and then winning their division with a 10 and seven record, you have the San Francisco 49ers. Now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, end up with 11 and six record and get the five seed, the best wild card seed. A 10-7, I believe. Minnesota Vikings get the 6th seed, yes. And the 7th seed goes to the Los Angeles Rams because they have less NFC wins. They're going to have a tough, tough schedule, uh, tougher than the Vikings have. So let's go with those games. A wildcard weekend. Buffalo is going to be hosting the the Chargers. Now, this is the one that's been controversial, and I have Buffalo fans coming for my neck and all this, but I will explain this very easily. The worst matchup possible for the Buffalo Bills in the first round is the Los Angeles Chargers. Why? Your quarterback is Josh Allen. You don't run the ball. Guess what the Chargers' biggest issue has been? Teams that run the ball at them, okay? So, you are not. A, you need to take advantage of running Singletary and company, but I think you'll rest on your laurels and not, you know, prepare yourself for a run game and you're going to get into a a real-deal game in a playoff, and you're going to lean on Josh Allen. Well, guess what? This team is designed to beat Josh Allen. Why is that? They have three legitimate cornerbacks that can play and match up extremely well. They're going to they're shadow Stefan Diggs with J.C. Jackson. Okay? You're going to have slot corner, and you're going to have another guy. Sante Samuels will match up really well, even though you don't think so because he's taller than him with Gabe Davis. Trust me. Samuel will be very annoying to him. Okay, They have a good slot corner. They can get after you with four. They have Joey Bosa, and they have Khalil Mack. They'll be able to get after you with four, and even their defensive tackles are able to get interior pressure at least push the pocket. So what does that do to Josh Allen? If you're able to get after him with four, he usually has more struggles, especially against bump press. And usually teams have to blitz him or bring a fifth guy, right? Okay, so if they're able to do that, right? Okay, Josh Allen's still good enough to make things happen, and I agree with that. Guess who's going to be a de facto spy on him? A guy who is basically the same exact athlete. Derwin James. He's going to be a de facto spy because Buffalo Bills have a good tight end, but he's not great enough to actually warrant them needing to do much against him other than use a guy like Kenneth Murray on him, but you're going to have Derwin James paying attention to Josh Allen being moved around as a joker. It's a terrible matchup for the Bills. If they don't get that matchup, in the first round, the card weekend, I actually think that they could probably beat them later in the playoffs, but I think it's a terrible smack in the face, especially since the Bills also. There's the mental aspect. Bills not getting that number one seed, having to play the wild card weekend, it's going to frustrate them. The Chargers will be happy to be in, but also amped up. All right, so I want to discuss that one because, again, Bills fans came for me. I don't dislike your team. I don't dislike the quarterback. I do think that they overrate him sometimes by saying he's better than Patrick Mahomes, which is just silly at this stage. He can trend that way, but he is not yet ready. But he's trending in a good direction. And then we're going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs playing against the Denver Broncos. I just think with this one, Kansas City, they're used to playing in the playoffs. You have a rookie head coach against Andy Reid. You have a quarterback who will try to strengthen the troops in Russell Wilson but playing in those cold conditions. I know he'll be used to it, but Kansas City is a different beast. I think they lose a close game in Kansas City. Indianapolis Colts against the Cincinnati Bengals. I actually think the Colts aren't ready for the Cincinnati Bengals. I think they're going to match up poorly. They do have Stefan Gilmore on the outside, but I think this is one where they move Jamar Chase around quite a bit, and they actually use a lot of out-of-the-back-field confusion with Joe Mixon and Hayden Hurst, where they make Darius Leonard have to pick and choose one of those guys. That's where they take advantage, and also they're able to get after Matt Ryan. I have Cincinnati winning that one. So we're going to go to the NFC side of this. Green Bay playing against the Los Angeles Rams. Guess who is a lesser quarterback in the postseason than he is in the regular season? Aaron Rodgers. Guess who he's playing against? Jalen Ramsey, who's super frustrating, and Aaron Donald, who's super frustrating. Give me the Rams. New Orleans Saints against the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings came to New Orleans and beat them a few years back when the backup was Teddy Bridgewater. Drew Brees was the starting quarterback. I said this, and I got lambasted for it. They should have switched to Teddy Bridgewater because Drew Brees could not move around. They lost that game. Jameis Winston will not be the issue. They're going to take advantage of that Vikings secondary in this particular matchup. I like New Orleans over the Minnesota Vikings at home. San Francisco versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think Trey Lance will actually be a force in this game. He's going to put them in bad run-fit positions for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, allowing for over-the-top throws and touchdowns. I think that Tom Brady will keep this game close and one that should be kind of a score fest. But I have San Francisco winning this game as they host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, in this one. Moving to the divisional round, Baltimore against the Chargers. Remember when I said that the Chargers struggle against the run? Guess who runs the ball a lot and aggressively? Give me the Baltimore Ravens over the Chargers. Kansas City versus Cincinnati. I think that last year, Kansas City fell into the trap of trying to make the big play happen in the second half. I don't think that they're gonna do this year, this year, do that this year because they don't have the big play guy. In a more measured attack, gimme Kansas City over Cincinnati at home this year. I'm gonna move on to the NFC. Philadelphia hosting the Rams. Philadelphia is gonna have an attacking style that is very frustrating to play against. I think they fall into the same trap that the 2019 Baltimore Ravens fell in, where they're just not gonna be ready for that particular matchup, get frustrated and end up losing to the Rams. Give me the Rams over the Eagles in this one. New Orleans Saints hosting the San Francisco 49ers. The Saints are built to actually beat the San Francisco 49ers, including be able to cover George Kittle because of the amount of safeties that we have on our roster. Getting after Trey Lance with rushing four. We love to feast on young quarterbacks, show them a lot of odd things. And San Francisco, their back end is not as good as it could be. They do get after the quarterback with just four, but I think that the Saints will be able to take advantage over the top. Give me the New Orleans Saints in that matchup. Going to championship games, Baltimore and Kansas City. Give me Baltimore in this one. The thing that I think they'll do against Kansas City is they're going to use a measured attack and force Kansas City to try to be patient while they run the ball down their throat. Kansas City still doesn't stop the run well. Baltimore will get running and rolling. Give me Baltimore as they win at home. And the New Orleans versus the Rams. This should be a Rams win, to be honest, but the issue that I have with the Rams in this particular matchup is that they don't know how to defend against the Alvin Kamaras of the world. I don't think that they're going to actually—their linebacker level is extremely weak. If the Saints were relying on one wide receiver and didn't have such a strong run game, I think that they could actually lose this game, but— Because of how they're designed, because of their over-the-top nature, and the fact they'll be able to take advantage of Kamara in the screen game with those linebackers not being as good as they could be. Yes, Bobby Wagner's there, but they're going to make sure Bobby Wagner is taken care of. Trust me on that. Give me New Orleans in this particular matchup. And then the Super Bowl. I'd love to be a homer here, but if the Saints are matching up against the Baltimore Ravens, they do have the requisite corners that can defend against those Saints receivers. They do have a safety who's used to playing against the New Orleans Saints, since he came from Marcus Williams. You're on the opposite side of the ball. I don't think the Saints are going to handle Lamar Jackson well. He's going to be an improved... This passing game will be improved because he's not the problem in the passing game. To be candid, it's just been the passing game itself. Give me the Baltimore Ravens winning this one. I have the Baltimore Ravens as an early read winning the Super Bowl over the New Orleans Saints. So, again, I might change this up. I'm going to look at... Some more preseason games. Look at what the lineups and the matches look like. And I'm going to go through these again. If nothing drastically changes, I'm just going to leave this as is. Um, But if it does, I will supply something new and an update. All right, folks. Thanks for listening to me for almost an hour. I've been spitting off a whole bunch of foolishness. Again, for those of you all who endured 57 minutes of me talking, if you like it, if you want more, I'm going to start doing these on YouTube so there'll be a video element to them. Also, you can follow me on Twitter for my written content. That's at CJFlorida9. My handle is at CJ, the entire state of Florida spelled out in the number nine. And for those of you all who like fantasy football, again, I have fantasy uh, my Fantasy Football Fridays podcast. I'll be doing that tomorrow, my preseason outlook. But also, I will be the fantasy football person for uh, Picks 11 uh, news in New York City. You can actually watch that on Sunday mornings. I'll be giving some updates, just a quick bump. Um I will supply that information also uh if you want to just see that that information my updates, you know, start sets things like that. Um uh, another video element. Let's uh, look out for me from. So, for the chopping it up with CJ podcast and Turf Talk Thursdays, the first episode of the 2022 season. This is Chris James signing off. Enjoy your upcoming holiday weekend, folks and enjoy the college football, and most of all, enjoy the time with your your family and loved ones, your friends. Take care. Bye-bye.